You're listening to The Dealmaker's Edge with A.Y. Strauss, diving deep into stories behind commercial real estate leaders. Welcome, everybody, to The Dealmaker's Edge. Today, we're really excited to be joined by Peter Borzak, who is the CEO and founder of Pine Tree. Pine Tree, uniquely positioned in industry. It's the sole private commercial real estate company in the U.S., a national institutional quality retail-focused platform, which invests and provides services to shopping center assets across the risk spectrum. Over $3 billion in retail assets under management. They're really an industry leader in managing, acquiring, developing, and leasing necessity-based open-air shopping centers from coast to coast. An amazing team Pete you put together. We've talked about that in the past, and we're just super excited you're on and can't wait to learn from your experience. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Maybe we could start from the beginning. You know, sometimes the pre-real estate beginnings, it sort of shapes the investor mindset later on. Maybe you could talk about some of your early beginnings, where you grew up, early experiences towards college and shortly thereafter. Yeah, so grew up in suburban Chicago in Evanston, Illinois, home of Northwestern University. And my mom was on the faculty there when I was growing up. And family had a printing business that my grandfather had started and my dad ran for his career. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do as I was growing up and went to college in Washington, D.C. And at some point, maybe halfway through college, decided I would go into the family printing business. And so spent summers there and some of my vacations and was super close with my dad and my grandfather and would love to have worked with them. But when I got to my senior year in college, I felt like I needed to prove to myself that I could cut it in the world and that I could get a job and hold a job. And so decided to go a different path and had a conversation with them and said, who knows if this is permanent, but I'm going to just see if I can do something not in the family business. And so was introduced to commercial real estate at that time and was lucky enough to be able to get a job out of college in a training program that my company had. So I was lucky to graduate at a time when the real estate market was pretty hot and active. Yeah, that seems to be a big theme. People who graduated school from 08 to 10. And have that experience. Exactly. And it looks as if it really was about a decade before you actually launched Pine Tree. So a few businesses, a few companies, I'm sure you saw from different viewpoints, the business broadly, but maybe some one of those early themes that you decided you want to be an entrepreneur and really launch for yourself. What are some of those key ideas and thoughts that were percolating during those early years? About being an entrepreneur and starting something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my dad and my grandfather were really ahead of their time in being what I would call enlightened business owners and enlightened managers around creating culture and the relationships that they had with the people that worked at the company. It was not a huge company. Chicago at that time had a lot of printing companies and was sort of known as a printing town. So they had a plant on the south side of Chicago, about 125 people. But the way that they interacted with the people that worked at the company and when they would walk me around, and I remember even as a little kid, they would walk us around the plant and they knew everybody's name, they knew everybody's story, and they really created a great work environment. And that was at a time when people weren't really talking about work environments or culture. And I think that experience really inspired me to want to be an entrepreneur, whether I was going to go into that business or do something different, really inspired me to want to go down that entrepreneurial path. And so when I got out of college and started my real estate career, I had in the back of my head that 
at some point I was going to be interested in starting something or being part of something where I could help try to create that kind of culture that they had created. Amazing. And we talk about culture all day long here. And I think we've had conversations about in the past and famous Drucker quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Everyone plans a million things, but unless you have people who are rowing together, who want to do it, it's just not going to happen, right? But that that's really amazing. You set out with the vision and isn't culture, it's really the only thing you can actually take from a company. You can poach colleagues, you can you know outbid people on assets, but that's the way you feel every day. That's a secret sauce, if I had to guess. I mean, beyond just the acumen, but you probably could have been successful in anything if you focus on the culture first. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good thing for just as a society, it's a good thing for us that this has become a focal point. And especially since the pandemic, I think there's been a special spotlight placed on that. It's obviously harder when you've got people that are working remotely, but yeah, I think that's one of the things that I enjoy most about my whole professional career is those relationships and trying to build that kind of camaraderie inside the company. And it's a very collaborative business that we're in. And so I think it is really a requirement to be able to deliver the kind of product that we want to deliver at Pine Tree, to have that kind of collaboration and that kind of camaraderie and the kind of interaction that the people inside of Pine Tree have with each other. Amazing. And even despite COVID, I knew you did very well and we're very active through that period. But before we get to that, maybe you can just talk about some of those earlier years, a lot of people look at you and say, hey, Pine Tree is this huge company. You're the largest private shopping center owner. I mean, that's not something that happens in one fell swoop. It happened from the very beginning and you start off with the right frame of mind as the culture. But maybe you can talk about those earlier years. Somebody listening to this now may think, you know, maybe I should start my own investment company. Maybe I should go be an entrepreneur and start a business. You know, talk about those early years because people gloss over those after people become very successful. So I don't think we're the largest private company, but uh, we try to make our mark. But the early years, I, I started out as an analyst, as a, a financial analyst working in an acquisition program. And that's still a very common career path today for people who get out of college, especially or getting out of business school. And you want to get into the transaction side of the real estate business, whether it's on the debt or the equity side still a very common career path to be in a financial analyst role. And, and that role hasn't really changed that much since I started. We were one of the first users of Argus and Argus is still the prevailing software package for projecting leases and financial results, you know, going forward. And so not a lot of difference from that role. So worked at a company that doesn't exist anymore in Chicago for a few years, and then intentionally went to a smaller company where I could see sort of how the whole process worked at larger companies, you tend to get a little bit more segmented in, in one area of the business and one function. And so went to a smaller company to get an idea about how all the pieces fit together and then had a chance to start a company in 1990, five years before we started Pine Tree. And unfortunately, I, I was too young and too immature at that time to understand the cycle that we were in and to understand the opportunity. And so didn't really take advantage of it, but it was still a great experience. Amazing. Any lessons if you were to do it differently in the beginning or, I mean, you start off with this mindset of culture, which is amazing, but I'm sure it's always the, the deals that got away and such, but maybe talk about hiring, how you started to build the team initially. How do you frame out that organizational chart? So I met the person who started Pine Tree with me, his name is Barry Herring, and we started the company in 1995. 
and he was a retail expert and also a development expert. My experience had been much more general and much more on the investment side and had more relationships in the capital markets and among equity investors. So we had a really good sort of yin and yang combination of skills and experiences and, and expertise and that worked really well. And so we started the company in 95 and started with a couple of development deals and had a, a, a small team and it was mostly high impact people who could handle big segments of the business. So, you know, we had a leasing person, we had a person who was, could, it was sort of a jack of all trades who could handle property management and HR and IT and run the office. So at the beginning, it was a fairly small group. And as we grew as a company, we continued to build out the team and just sort of fill in specialties. And then as we grew and started to scale, that tends to get much more specific and in the roles and we had less generalists and more people who were sort of what you call like a proverbial sharpshooter. Yeah. And I guess it happens fast. You blink and the time goes by, the years go by, all of a sudden you turn around and you've got hundred team members and an office and all these shopping centers and you don't even know how you got there. I'm sure on certain days, but you put in the work, that's for sure. And you built a magnificent company, team, brand, reputation that obviously you should be super proud of and amazing. Maybe talk about some of those deals that really help level you up at different stages. Sometimes it's a portfolio. Sometimes it's taking on a big management assignment, but companies go through these stops and starts and big leaps. Maybe you could talk about some of those leaps because some people listening may have companies that are doing X million revenue and want to take that leap. So it's exciting to hear about those. So I guess maybe there are a couple of things I would mention. Some of the best learning experiences that we had and in our early years, we were strictly developing from the ground up. So all of our deals from when we started the company in 95 for about the first 10 years were ground up developments. And so that was a, also a very specific niche in the business. It was done during a time when there was a proliferation of big boxes across the United States and Target and Walmart and Home Depot and what they used to call category killers were expanding at a rapid pace. It was a good time to be developing and we sort of rode that wave. But one of the things that was helpful was we had a couple deals, one in particular that were, you know, where we had problems that popped up. We developed a shopping center in Wisconsin where our grocer went dark and our lender was you know, a little bit freaked out about it. We had personal recourse. And it was one of the first real sort of pieces of adversity that we had to deal with. But it was a good experience because I think it helped teach us how to keep our minds calm during a very stressful times, approach things on a very systematic basis, figure out one step at a time how to get through the situation. We ended up doing a buyout from the, the grocer that went dark. We were able to get a large check, pay our loan down, replace that tenant, and ultimately sell that project at a small profit, not a large profit, but enough that we took something that looked like it could have been a disaster and we turned it into something that was, you know, far less disaster. I call it maybe a passable outcome, but that was something that was helpful because real estate investment, especially real estate development is fraught with issues that pop up all the time. And I think learning how to deal with those problems and learning how to stay calm and think rationally and clearly is something that I think essential for being in this business. I couldn't agree more. And it's a theme we hear every day. Somebody called me this morning, very stressed out. And I literally just told them, it's just today, one day at a time. 
you know, there's always going to be an issue. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. And it sounds like you took a terrible situation and turned into a home run because any profit on a bad sort of luck there is wonderful. And talk about the necessity-based shopping center business. Obviously, retail pre-COVID and then you know, the early years with e-commerce, we're so far beyond that in different cycles and different reasons. But clearly, necessity-based shopping centers have been the darlings through COVID and beyond. And people, they will shop online. They will always shop online. But you're definitely still going to the grocery store. Maybe you could talk about how you got into that mindset, focus on necessity-based versus a lot of other sectors of retail obviously have struggled. Yeah, so it's a great question. At the very beginning, and this goes back to 95, we're almost 28 years ago. We knew at the time that the enclosed mall was on a downward trajectory. It's taken a while for that whole story to play out. And I think we're seeing an acceleration of that right now with all the trouble in the enclosed mall space. And clearly there are some top performing malls that continue to do extremely well and are extremely relevant, but as we've all seen, there are a lot of closed malls that are not performing so well that are being repurposed and, and having to be reimagined. So even at that time, we decided that the necessity-based shopping centers and retail sector was the most interesting for us and the one that we thought had the most runway. When the GFC hit, that was when a lot of the narrative started to get negative about retail and coming out of the GFC. Retail was the last asset class to recover. Multifamily recovered very quickly. And then other asset classes sort of followed suit. It was a little bit longer for retail to recover. And then what we saw during the 2010s was this urban migration driven by several different factors, including the boom in the millennial population graduating from college and entering the workforce. And they especially, then that group had a particular interest in being in urban cores and in urban centers and the cities across the country were flourishing and in a lot of cases at the expense of suburban areas. And we also saw the increase in online shopping and e-commerce and those factors have created something of a roller coaster ride for open air retail over the last 12 to 15 years, but the reality of the sector has always been better than the narrative. Our properties throughout that period have continued to perform well. And when you've got a strong center in a strong location and with the right mix of tenants, we have consistently been able to fill vacancies and keep those properties well leased. And so the actual performance throughout that whole period has been very strong. To your point, when we entered COVID, it looked at the beginning like it could be sort of the final nail in the coffin. And there was a lot of talk about, you know, retail apocalypse uh, because of health concerns. People were having a lot of products delivered to their homes. Open air retailers were struggling and we were getting a lot of rent deferral requests. And it, it looked really troubling in the beginning of that period. But by the summer of 2020, we saw a very different story and we saw people return to the shopping centers in huge numbers. We saw people migrating back to the suburbs in huge numbers for, again, many different reasons. Part of that was people's interest in having more space generally, both to be able to work from home, but also to be able to have more space from a health perspective. And in addition, I think the baby boom, or sorry, the millennial population that was starting to get a little bit older was now getting into a different phase of their life where they were getting married and having kids. And so moving to the suburbs made sense, especially with cities shut down. And that trend we see continuing to this day. And so the combination of people 
having needs for a lot of the goods that are being sold from open air centers, equipping home offices from Home Depot, equipping home gyms from Dick's. And when the world started to open up again, there were lines around the block at TJ Maxx's and Ross's and Burlington. So we've seen huge success in the open air model among grocery stores and among necessity-based retailers. And so I think since the pandemic, the narrative around retail has become much more positive and people have much more conviction right now universally that open air retail and brick and mortar retail is here to stay and is a necessary part of the omni-channel approach to retailing, which is sort of an industry buzzword, meaning good retailers have got to offer customers different options. And one of those options has got to be having a brick and mortar presence and a place where the store can express their brand and products and values and where people can either shop for products in the store, return products they've bought online. They, they want to have options to create the relationship that works for them. And so we've seen a lot more confidence in the retail sector since 2020. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. I love the way you said that the narrative certainly is oftentimes more negative than the reality. And we've talked in the past about the fact that the returns are there. I think one of the issues, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you're much more of an expert than I am, you're talking to the investors every day with multifamily and industrial, the run that they've been on. And now that the rate's coming up, people are realizing, well, now you need a return. You can't buy multi at cap rates, you know, where they are and the lending not being there to support the numbers. So it seems like there's still a spread to make on retail. And maybe now the institutional partners you've had are even hungrier for more product because they've got to get a yield. Are you seeing even more demand because... Maybe multi starting to taper off. Industrial seems to be still very hot, but it was always competing with those other asset classes. Yes, we definitely are seeing more interest and more conversations around retail right now than we've seen in quite a while, especially among institutional investors. And I think that to your point, cap rates have been trading wide of interest rates and also wide of industrial and multifamily for a while. They continue to trade wide of those two sectors and even current interest rates. And so I think more and more people are recognizing right now that with the, uh, as I mentioned, change in narrative, because the narrative, that the reality of the open air retail space was never as bad as the narrative. But now that the narrative has gotten much more positive, I think a lot more investors either have turned or are turning to retail as an option for generating yield. Yeah, absolutely. And you're the perfect company and person to take advantage of that. And you've always had attracted tremendous interest. So it's a wonderful time. Speaking of that momentum, what do you think the next few years hold for you? If you can, you know, sort of map out, you're always in growth mode. You've been from day one, but do you have sort of goals or targets or you sort of have to flow where the opportunity is? Do you have, you know, are you very bullish and trying to acquire a lot in the relatively near future? We've had a really big acquisition year since about the fourth quarter of 2021. We acquired about $450 million in open air shopping centers across the country and not sure that the next couple months will be quite as active because at this moment, there's a lot of there's some trepidation around the capital markets and around where the economy is going. But we think the 20 23 should be a, a really interesting year for making investments and potentially taking advantage of some opportunities and see if there's like real distress or not. But I think in open air retail space, I think it's going to be less about distress and more about, you know, just finding interesting opportunities to make investments. And there will be some groups that are going to want to sell assets. And, you know, we're hoping that we'll be able to continue to grow. Amazing. And I'm sure you will, I have no doubt. What about the mental aspects? You oversee a lot of people. 
you've got a lot of things on your plate. So how do you manage the headspace day to day? I think that's a question people like to ask people who are managing a lot of responsibility. Well, the first answer would be having a great team and a great group of people, both at the company, but especially at the manager level. And when we've got just an incredible group of people at the company, but managers who are handling the day-to-day functions of the company, the day-to-day reporting, overseeing the team. And during the pandemic, as we know, all companies had all kinds of issues with, you know, people who had family members who were sick, people who were sick themselves, people who had, you know, just issues taking care of parents, dealing with kids and school from home. There were just a lot of complications in people's lives. And so creating an environment where people had the flexibility to be able to deal with their lives and also deal with work was really important. So I think that's the first most important answer. But I think the second one, partly to what you're asking is my sort of philosophy over the last few years around my professional life has been that rule number one is keep your mind calm and everything else is a distant second. I think the ability for any of us to just be able to keep thinking in rational ways and not respond to things emotionally or impulsively is a really is something that I aspire to. It's something that I strive for. And I think that's a really important element. And different people have different ways of trying to get to that space where you feel that your mind is calm. For me, I like to work out a lot. And that's one of the ways that I release stress. I go to a boxing gym three days a week, and that helps me work things out. I also listen to a lot of music and that also helps me try to get myself evened out, but it's definitely something that I try to focus on. Well said. Amazing. I know mental health is a topic that everybody needs to discuss all the time and it's good. It's getting more awareness these days. It used to just be something that you talk about at home, but now it's sort of percolating work and it ties to the culture. You need to bring your whole self. And if your whole self is not all there, then everyone's going to suffer and really appreciate those insights. Pete, as long as we have you, is there anything else I should have asked you or could have asked you or would have asked you that you would have loved to answer that you think would be something good for people to hear or know about in the broad scope, either real estate or... or No, I think we've covered it. I appreciate you having me. I think the only thing would just be that people should look at the reality of retail real estate. I think that they will find that it's a really healthy sector and the retailers right now are really healthy. One of the things that the pandemic did was clear out some companies that were teetering and maybe were not meant to survive long-term, but that space has been filled and our sector is in really good shape right now, poised for the future, so. Perfect. Well, Pete, it's been an amazing conversation. I really want to thank you again for taking time out of your extraordinarily busy day and all your responsibilities you're juggling and really looking forward to staying in touch and talking again soon. And again, thank you so much for being on. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for joining the Dealmaker's Edge. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a five-star rating so more people can follow the conversation.